Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream, the show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Roscoe here, your co-host, joining you once again. It's been a little while, and uh, it's great to catch up with Jamie Glazier, all the way up there in uh, Queensland. How are you, Jamie? Very well, thanks, Roscoe. We uh, feel like the shoe's on the other foot here because we are now in lockdown uh, versus you guys being opened up. So uh, very interesting times around Australia at the minute with COVID. But, uh, yeah, we're on a six- or seven-day lockdown that finishes uh, this Sunday afternoon. Well... It's as we've proven uh, to each other, usually on my side of the fence, but now on your side of the fence, they're, they're pro- productive times to uh, catch up and hopefully make some decent podcast material, which is what we're doing today. Now, as I said, it's been a little little while since we've uh, caught up to do a podcast, and thank you for everyone for your wonderful feedback on the previous episodes. Uh, who have we had? We had uh, Smithy. People loved uh, listening to Smithy. Uh, who else do we have? Jonesy? Yeah, Jonesy's episode was... Extremely popular, so yep. that was great. And Herbie, of course, uh, winner of this year's Irish Open, Dubai Duty Free Irish Open. Very, what did, what did he finish in the Scottish Open the week after? Where was he, like fourth, third? He was fourth, one shot out of the playoff. That's exactly right. And uh, what's uh, what's uh, Herbie got up uh, this weekend? Has he got WGC? Yeah, playing uh, playing the WGC this weekend, then a week off, and then the uh, the Corn Ferry Finals. So which is an exciting opportunity for him to get his PGA Tour card through that uh, that Corn Ferry final series if he needs to, unless he goes out and does something crazy at the WGC this week and uh, gets a win or a top five, which may earn him a PGA Tour card. But, um, yeah, no, looking forward to seeing him uh, you know, compete over the next sort of month. Uh, good luck, Lucas, uh, if you're listening. I'm sure you will be. Good luck, mate. Now, Jamie, this week's episode, What are we? What are, what's our topic? Tell, tell me what's the uh, headline uh, piece that we're going with today? Well, the headline this week is what I call room and space. And I suppose this topic came up a little bit for me the last couple of weeks, both from a client conversation point of view, but also with my own experience playing golf. I've got back, I haven't I haven't had a round of golf for about four months, and I've ended up having three rounds of golf in just a little under two weeks, which has been fantastic. I have loved coming back and playing but as we spoke about last year with COVID, when people came out of this COVID lockdown, their expectation of self was a lot lower and a lot more flexible. They were just so grateful to get the opportunity to play golf that they gave themselves and their golf game a bit more room and space. It didn't have to be uh, so rigidly at a certain level. Um, their expectations of themselves weren't so high and we got a lot of feedback that not only did they enjoy the game more, but they also played better when they had that environment. Now, the past couple of weeks, speaking to some different clients, that room and space theory has come up a lot again. And I just thought it would be a great topic of discussion to help people to understand what that room and space, that flexibility means. And I suppose, you know, first and foremost, what 
how it changes the way you behave, uh, how it changes your emotional state. And we know about that cognitive sequence, which is thinking, emotion, behavior, outcome. When we change our thinking, how much of an impact that has on the rest of that sequence. So, yeah, that's the, the room and space sort of philosophy. Now, we caught up briefly beforehand and, and chatted a little bit, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that whilst I might not have been as familiar with the term room and space, I'm pretty sure that it's dominated both positively and negatively a lot of my golf in my recent you know, 10 years of golf journey. And phase one of that is where I had no room and space, no room and space for, you know, unacceptable performance, no room and space for, you know, a slide the wrong way in a handicap, no room and space for um, making mistakes on a golf course, as people now know, in particular around short game. And I think now I've made a, a transition where I'm a different type of golfer thankfully. But um, certainly for me, I spent a lot of time not giving myself any room and space. And I can see now how in hindsight, it actually made it hard, harder for me to perform. You know, like I'd do things like I'd make poor choices, not only just in, in mid round, but even post round, I would make choices like, um, for example, I might have had a bad round on a Saturday, my handicap would go from four to five, or five to six or whatever it was. And I didn't like that. But I, I did the calculations of, of well, if I play another good round, it'll come back down. And I started making decisions like skipping work. Not, I didn't do it very often, but you know, the, the handful of times when I have had a sickie on a Monday, it was to go back down and play golf on a Monday to try and get it back down. And that's not that's not sensible, you know, mature age, you know, business oriented person's decisions when he's making decisions like taking days off work yeah. to go and get his handicap back down. It wasn't to take a day off for a mental health day to go and play golf. It was to take and get try and enforce a result which I was only flicking the dice whether it was going to happen or not. Is that sort of fit into this room and space? Was I doing the wrong thing? Well, I mean, you absolutely were giving yourself no room and space when it came to what golf handicap you, you were on because when you got to a handicap that your mind perceived was unacceptable, you, you wouldn't allow yourself much time to sit in that identity. You needed to get out of that right now. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to say it was a gamble was, you know, uh, the least we could probably say. And we, we spoke about your short game in the past. We, we played a lot of golf together and even, say, a year and a half ago, you would do a bit of work on your short game. But I would see that the very first shot in a round of golf in your short game, you carried so much weight of expectation and so much almost burden of the practice that if this shot didn't equate to a high quality shot, then, you know, it was almost like everything that you'd done was a waste of time or that you just, you're not going to be able to break through from a short game point of view. And I could see you carrying the stress and then, you know, you would, would almost be lucky if you were to execute a good quality shot um, where, you know, nowadays there is that more flexibility. It's almost like, you know what, I've put the work in and that work's going to help me to give myself the best opportunity to hit a good shot. It doesn't mean I will because that's the nature of golf, but it's given me an opportunity and, um, you know, if it doesn't work out, it, you know, I'm fine with that as well. Yeah, well, you... And that just helps to diffuse the stress and anxiety. You've hit the nail on the head and I can definitely feel how now I approach you know, that round of golf much 
differently to I to the way I used to. You know, you know, it's very much based around enjoyment, and I think I've been able to maintain a reasonable standard over a longer period of time without the highs and the lows. You know, I've certainly mitigated those highs and lows and the, the huge variations because of the way that you just described it. And I definitely remember, and and what I remember is, you know, those examples that you cite where those early short game shots wouldn't go to plan. Uh, what would happen then is it would affect my strong part of my game, you know, my tee ball, because I knew that it would put pressure on that because then I had to get that in in play because that would give me the best chance of hitting it on the green to avoid making short game plays. So it, it, I allowed it to make yeah. pressure in that space, and that invariably, yeah. you know, when you put pressure, when I put pressure there, I was just doubling doubling down on pressure, and it was just it was a recipe for disaster. Now I just accept that you know there's another opportunity on the next hole to make it up in one of the four or five or six or three or two shots that I that I have opportunity to make on that next hole yeah absolutely and you know golfers we there are so many different facets of the game where we can carry that very rigid very claustrophobic approach to it versus that room and space whether it is uh you know that old that old sort of saying aim small miss small Mm. um like in theory that's been an old sports psych sort of statement for years that people have focused on and in part it works yes but in theory uh, sorry in practice that can create a lot of stress and anxiety and instead of you know picking out a small target if you allow yourself a bit of room and space where you're like okay i want to bring this ball down in between that point and that point almost give you a set of goal posts then what that naturally does and it's it's happened you know multiple times this last couple of weeks with clients is when we've gotten them to go out there and, and try that approach and just recognise what the difference is, what changes when you give yourself a bit more room, I've had multiple clients come back and say, my God, I, I can't believe how relaxed I was, how calm I was and how much more freedom I carried into the shot. Now, ultimately, that's those things are going to help us to execute the shot to a better level, which is going to help to achieve a better outcome. But if I'm picking a very narrow target and I'm getting very specific and very rigid and that's triggering a bit of stress or a bit of anxiety or a bit of tension, which takes away that freedom, then I'm not going to be able to execute the shot to the level that I would like and therefore not get the outcome I would like. So although in theory that aim small, miss small approach sounds good, in practice and actually doing it on a golf course under pressure, it can actually have the, the wrong response and a response that's not going to help us to achieve our best. So is there room and space in two sort of concepts, like concept of making a shot and executing shot and how you apply room and space? So you've got a lot more room and a lot more space than maybe you're allowing yourself to feel. But then then the room and space part of it, how it occupies in you know the room that you allow it to occupy in your mind, I guess. How, how do you, you know, for someone that's, you know, standing on the tee, for example, and they might struggle with the tee ball, which a lot of people do. They see a fairway. They see rough. They see trees or a hazard or you know what one other golf-related obstruction. You know how would you suggest to someone to stand on the tee? You know with that environment. You know they've got a narrow fairway. It's a tough driving hole, but twenty meters are rough either side, and then some trouble. What would be the right sort of stand on the tee sort of way to think and approach? You know the concept of room and space, making that type of shot. So a discussion came up during the week with a client where he was mentioning that he's he was feeling a little bit sort of stressed, uh, holding a bit of tension with T-balls, and he was trying to get really specific. So 
once I started to hear him talk more, I could tell he was going into this very rigid um, sort of mindset. So I said to him, look, over the next couple of days, all I want you to do is I want you to go out and play holes and apply this theory and tell me what impact it has. Give me some feedback on what impact it has. So getting him to stand on the on the actual tee box and I wanted him to point out tree line to tree line. Okay, so if his ball came down anywhere in between those tree line points, whether it's in the rough, whether it's in the fairway bunker or whether it's in the fairway, he could still advance that ball onto the green or to the green. So, and knowing that he had all of that room to be able to leave his driving so he could advance it to the green, I just wanted to get him to use that sort of mindset. And anyway, he went out and played nine holes, got back on the coach now, sent me a message and just said the very first hole, he looked at tree line to tree line and he realized how much room there was that he could drive the ball in where it effectively possibly wouldn't cost him a shot. He could still advance the ball onto the green, give himself an opportunity to make par. And he said he noticed that all of this weight came off his shoulders. He almost exhaled with just had this big, deep breath out. He said he just felt so much calmer. Then what happened was he realized he didn't, his mechanics didn't have to be perfect to be able to achieve the outcome of hitting the ball in between those two points. So he also started to generate some more room and space from a technical point of view. Mm. He didn't have to hit his spot on P2 perfectly or P6 or whatever the positions he's needing his swing to be in or he perceived he needed to be in. He just felt more freedom within his swing that he didn't have to be perfect to execute a good quality shot. So anyway, fast forward at the end of the nine holes, he hit the ball beautifully. He probably played as well as he's played in a good few months uh, from a ball striking point of view. More importantly, he had so much more fun and enjoyed that walk so much more because he wasn't activating the high levels of stress that this rigid uh, mindset can uh, can trigger. And yeah, for him, he even noticed that in his routine, he actually filmed one of his pre-shot routines and we matched it up to a routine that we'd worked on a few weeks ago. And boy, it was almost like the old one. He was, he was working within a very, very small room versus he's got the whole tee box he can, he can work within. He's, He's moving, you know, all over the place. There's just this freedom of movement. Movement. Um, it was just a completely different experience for him, which was uh, which was great. So, would an example of rigidity, you know, so that was a, you know, like, let me use the term fluid process. Uh, he had a lot of room. Um, yeah. But would the example of yep. rigidity in that example, and we're talking about an elite golfer, right? You know, so this is, this yeah. Is, yeah. He's a but, pro, yeah. Yeah, but I'm starting to see how this is very easily, if you're a club-level golfer and this works for an elite golfer, you can really see how this could help you. But an example of a rigid process, you know, he might have otherwise been standing on the tee going, I need to see a certain shape, I need to hit it to a certain target, and I need if I don't achieve, you know, that shape, that ball flight, you know, that spin characteristic off the driver and hit it to that target, well, that's, that's no good. Therefore, if I don't hit it to that point, I've yeah. not executed and I'm not going to you know, be in the best position. So is that an example of being too rigid and not having enough space? Absolutely. And this specific golfer is he's very much into visualising. So he's wanting to visualise this very rigid linear ball flight, almost like he hit a shot and he's actually watching the ball. Now, we all know when we try to visualise a shot and we can't see it, we generally try harder 
to visualize it mm. because we, we put so much importance and emphasis on we have to have that visualization of the shot to hit a good shot, but we don't. Mm. It just It's nice to have sometimes and sometimes it helps, but it doesn't mean you can't hit a good shot without it. So I just said to him, you know, um, instead of seeing this rigid linear ball flight, think about a two or three lane highway. I said, even if it's a six lane highway, the closer you get to the hole, the narrower the highway is. So if you've got a if you've got a, an eighty meter or an eighty yard pitch shot, you might have a one lane highway where the flag is in the middle of the lane. And then when you're on the green, you've got a ten foot putt. You have a very well, you've got a highway, a one lane highway, which is the the width of the cup, and your visualization is actually in the center of that of that lane to the cup but if you hit it a little bit left or a little bit right the ball's most likely still going to go in the hole so he started to paint a, a, he, he could imagine like a paintbrush width of the hole of this white line going to the hole and he had this little black sort of trace mark down the center of it which was his intention but his mindset was well if it goes a little bit left of the center or a little bit right of the center i can still hold it which again enabled his stroke to have a little bit more freedom a little bit more fluidness and a bit more feel and he said what he noticed was his start lines were so much better than they had been the couple of months prior yeah in the past he'd been really trying very hard to get his start lines perfect but had done it in too much of a rigid way it's a good example with the putting example there. It's a good example that you could apply that two-lane highway concept off the tee. And it's a, an example that's just come to mind and, you know, due to the work that you know, we did with Dom and the few sessions I had, um, he explained to me at one point where, you know, don't go searching for perfect contact in every every chip shot. And I think that's what I was doing and, and putting that much pressure to get, you know, that perfect sounding chip shot, that nice clip, get the spin, because I, in my mind, if it didn't do that, well, then that wasn't, going to work or stop and get near the hole. And he said, you know, you think Brett Brumford and Lucas and all these other pros, you know, hit perfectly struck chip shots every time they hit a pitch. It might look like it to you on TV, but they certainly don't. And once I sort of let that sort of sink yeah. in, then getting the ball onto the green became a different feeling. And then all of a sudden yeah. the efficacy of the strike didn't really matter as much, but the ball started going closer to the hole. So there was less flub, you know, short, less thin, long, you know, that was just the two sort of variables and more closer to the hole, not as close to the hole. And and where I just worked on that technique and didn't have that expectation or that, that um, understanding that everything had to be clipped perfectly. But the, 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 the visual, my in my version of that, the, the visual lane was certainly clearly there and how I got it on the lane um, didn't matter as much as what I had in my mind. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the. It's really funny because you know through the years of working with with club level golfers, especially on the short game, they think they've you know they're, they're a fifteen marker, for example. They think they've got to chip this inside five feet, mm. and you're like, well, I don't know the skill sets there, and, and, I, and I'll use myself as an example of, of a handicap of seven. If I've got a if I've got a twenty five meter chip shot, um, you know, I'm ten meters off the front of the green, the, the pin's on fifteen. I, I, I think I would probably chip it maximum two times out of ten inside five feet. Mm. Like so, giving myself a little bit more. Okay, let's let's make some good contact and let's just get this up there somewhere that I've got an opportunity to hold a putt. Now, if that's anywhere inside fifteen feet, that's fantastic. Now, you still then narrow your intention. This is where the balance between 
the room and space, but we want to still narrow our intention to give ourselves the best opportunity to hit a good shot. I would give myself room and space from an expectation point of view, whether that's I would like to hit a good shot now, but if it doesn't happen, I'm okay. Um, but my clear intention would be, okay, I want to try and hit this shot where it lands here, it reacts here, and it actually goes up and gives myself a chance to to maybe either have a tap in or I hold the shot. I've still got a narrow intention, but I've given myself room and space from an expectation. Yeah. So, yeah, because what we're trying to do is just diffuse any stress, anxiety, or any tension to allow our performance to be uh, of a higher quality. It makes perfect sense to me now, and I've got the benefit of hindsight, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's like all golfers, you know, we're working on things technically, but sometimes, you know, when we apply these concepts, you know, it can really accelerate the work that you're doing technically. And uh, and then once you have that com- confidence, for me, that's how it affects me, once the confidence is there, then right. the execution, you know, just starts to, to happen at a greater rate. It's, it's not perfect. It, I understand and accept that it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. I'm not going to beat Lucas Herbert, even with when he is using 57-year-old clubs, but it is yeah. better. It is better. And even with, um, we've we've you know we've made we've certainly made a lot of changes with the way that, that that I approach things with Herbie, for example, or with all my all my players around your pre-round routine. You know, years ago we tried to have a pretty clear, pretty structured pre-round routine. We tried to have purpose and intention and clarity, and that just triggered stress and and, and anxiety. And then if he didn't have a good warm up, then what? If I don't have a good warm-up, does that mean I'm going to play bad? So once we gave him some room and space to breathe in his warm-up and the way he structured his warm-up, all of a sudden he started to lose the importance or the meaning in the quality of his warm-up. Mm. Okay? And we all probably fall into that pattern. I, I was just going to say, Sorry, I think I, I was just going to say, I think his his ability to demonstrate everything that you've talked about there came to the fore at the Irish Open in that last round when you know he started to you know, hit a couple left and right and he had to deal with some stuff. He had the, the uh, wherewithal to be able to bounce back from that and, you know, it didn't uh, certainly didn't uh, hold him back from, uh, you know, getting getting the win and getting the result. Um, is that an example of room and space, you know, how he yeah. dealt with that particular time? Absolutely. And, and, and I'll talk and we've spoken a bit about it on the podcast about the panic button. Really the, 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 the goal of this room and space philosophy and the room and space approach is so that we never hit the panic button, that, that it's okay. Whatever's happening in this moment, it's okay. Now, generally, if we can diffuse the importance, the significance of the situation, then that's going to help us to not press the panic button if things aren't perfect. Mm. But again, if we have these flexible expectations, then we're actually okay when things aren't perfect, like Herbie was. It doesn't mean I still can't get the desired outcome with some less than perfect execution. We spoke about Brenton on the podcast a while ago, and he was, you know, we had that one focus point with wedge play. That's all he focused on and accepted all these other things and and he did that really well we called it a guinea pig round where he gave himself that room and space to breathe that today's round didn't matter and he went out and had 41 points now that's that's not a coincidence Mm. well jamie i i certainly have a far better understanding of the concept and the term room and space i'm happy to know that i was working towards it maybe even unknowingly but certainly when i reflect on you know that sort of 10-year journey of of my world as a 
mature age amateur golfer um, because there was a big gap there, I can certainly see how not having room and space affected my golf. And now on the other side, how allowing a little bit of room and space and creating shot making um, scenarios where you know I can identify room and space, but certainly also attitudinally and mentally um, has certainly very much helped me. I think it'll help the club level golfers that listen to this and to know that you know th- these are techniques that are applied by pros, Lucas, or your you know some of your other clients. Um, it's yeah. really it's really really powerful stuff, mate. Yeah, I think too, Roscoe. Just one more one more thing for the for the listeners around that room and space is. If you think about when you go out to play a round of golf, what your goal is, and typically most people say, well, I'm trying to beat my handicap today. And we've spoken about on the podcast about just changing the goal to be, I want to sort of, I want to have 32 points or more for five rounds in a row, anytime over the next three months. We're just extending that timeline to help create that room and space. Mm. And same goes from a from a handicap point of view or just a performance point of view to look at your golf as a more of a marathon than a sprint. You know, it's it's looking at it in a 12-month period or a three-year period. And, you know, I think that's where people talk about, you know, pros talk about, oh, you know, getting my tour card would be great because I've got a full season mm. of status where, I, you know, I can have a few bad weeks and it doesn't really mean anything. When they don't have a tour card and they're getting invites, all of a sudden the importance of those events are greater, um, mm. which is why not a lot of people perform that well when they're given those opportunities. Yeah. Well, there you go. Another great concept that hopefully you can listen to this and then take out onto the uh, course and apply. Uh, if you've got any questions, please feel free to uh, drop uh, Jamie an email. The email is in the uh, show notes there. And, uh, and maybe keep uh, an eye out because uh, I know that uh, Jamie is working on a reasonably big-sized uh, announcement and project uh, in the Mental Mastery Clubhouse. You've seen the Instagram uh, name change to Mental Mastery Clubhouse, so that signifies that there's uh, some good stuff happening. We're just not too far away from uh, bringing that to you. Uh, are we not, Jamie? What uh, what can people expect in the Mental Mastery Clubhouse we moving are forward? very close, Roscoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are very close to launching this new, uh, new project. You and I have been working on this for a little while, and it's a very exciting concept that's going to help I think just going to help us engage with the members, the listeners to a to a much greater level, and really uh, help them build a stronger mental game, and just help them to enjoy their journey uh, of a golfer to a to a whole other level. So, really excited about launching that in the hopefully in the upcoming weeks. Well, that's a bit of a teaser. We will dedicate a lot more time when uh, the launch had for the Mental Mastery Clubhouse is ready to go live, but uh, that is a bit of a teaser of, uh, you know, there's great things. We're always uh, working on stuff here to, you know, try and affect and impact uh, everyone's life and their golf, and uh, that's obviously why we're listening, because life and golf are very important to us, and, you know, that's one of the motivations that uh, we sit here and do this, and Jamie, I know uh, you've dedicated your life to helping people in this space, and uh, you, you give uh, you give greatly of your time, and uh, as you do on this podcast, so thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Roscoe. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And uh, we might see you next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Maybe soon to be the Mental Mastery Clubhouse uh, Golf Podcast. And uh, we look forward to listening and uh, we'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.